I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. The broadcast satellites are pointed west this week as I talk with Laurie Porter of Smog City Brewing in Los Angeles about the state of the industry, a new beer they're releasing to spark conversation, and how the City of Angels is faring in 2021. We'll get into the show in just a moment, but first, this episode is sponsored by Lawson's Finest Liquid, and joining me on the line is Sean Lawson. He's the namesake of the brewery, and we're talking about the brewery's Waitsfield Taproom and Beer Garden. Sean, since you've reopened after COVID, I'm guessing a lot of listeners didn't have the chance to visit before the pandemic. As they head north, what awaits them with inside your walls? Well, we have some very excited staff to see them. Uh, it's been a long uh, it's been a long haul through COVID, and uh, we kept our indoor tap room closed throughout uh, until the spring. We reopened uh, in early June uh, for both indoor and outdoor service, and both you'll see smiling faces uh, among our staff, and I think even bigger smiles uh, among the guests that we have here at the beer garden and tap room. They'll find uh, an expanded menu. We've taken our light fare and branched out to offer uh more uh, varieties of grilled cheeses off the panini press and other sandwiches. So folks will find a different variety. We focus on really hyper-local foods like uh, local cured meats, local cheeses, uh, a wonderful beer pretzel that's made right down the road. And uh, we also have special beers that are only available here in Waitsfield, Vermont, both those that we brew in Waitsfield and also on uh, the smaller system at the original brewery, our seven-barrel brewery up in Warren, Vermont. And then finally, starting in late June, we'll have our live music series returning every week on Tuesday for Tuesday, Tunes Day. And I'm really looking forward to bringing music back in the house uh, here at Lawson's Finest Liquids. And I know our local and visiting fans are excited for that as well. Well, Point your cars north and start to get to the brewery. That sounds like there's a lot going on. So uh, count me as one of them who wants to come up and visit fairly soon. Sean's going to be back with us at the bottom of the show to talk more about the tap room. And in the meantime, you should also check out LawsonsFinest.com as well as their social media channels to learn more about the brewery. This episode is also sponsored by Brees. Brees is the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbrees.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. And NZ Hops is the cooperative of master hop growers, and they're a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And a quick reminder to check out BeerEdge.com to subscribe to the newsletter to catch up on episodes of this podcast and the Beer Edge podcast and to check out the very cool merch page. And as always, we'll see you on Facebook in our This Week in Route Beer group. So as we've talked about on the show in the past, there's some serious conversations and allegations happening in the beer industry, specifically these days around the treatment of women. 
Sadly, many of the stories are not new, but a lot of them have not been publicly talked about until a few weeks ago when women started sharing their stories on social media. There's been a lot of talk, hopefully a lot of listening, some changes, and work towards meaningful action. Lori Porter's my guest this week. She's the co-founder of Smog City, a brewery with several locations in Southern California that has helped shape the Los Angeles beer scene over the last decade. She's on brewing industry advisory boards and guilds and has focused, in her words, on every aspect of the company minus the brewing. But this week, Smog City is set to release Total Boss. It's a red IPA made by the women of the brewery to spark conversations about misogyny, sexism, assault, and more happening in the beer space. Porter spent a lot of time thinking about this and from the brewery's beginning has tried to focus her efforts to make Smog City a safe place, one where people are happy to work and feel like they can work without fear. Still, these last few weeks have gotten her thinking about where things are, where they were, and where they can be. So we start with current events and transition into action. She spoke to me from California. Here's our conversation. As a brewery owner, mm-hmm. what have the last few weeks been like conversation-wise and, and who's having them and what are they centering around? Sure. Yeah. These, I mean, these, these conversations have been happy, happening for 10 years, 15 years, right? We're all, we all know that, that there are instances of misogyny or, or mistreatment by um, by men in our industry, it, I don't think that it is uh, it is the majority of the people that are in industry that are actually causing trouble. Um, but it wasn't a surprise when it came out on this level for me. I was I was not shocked. I've been to a lot of conferences, seminars, um, tap rooms, wherever, and um, and luckily, I know as a as a leader, I'm lucky. I'm as an owner of a brewery. I think I have a little bit of insulation. I haven't had quite the, the negative experiences that many of these poor women have. Um, but uh, I have experienced, um, you know, situations in which I'm treated differently than, than others. And uh, it, it's been, it's almost, it's been really interesting to have conversations with our um, female employees and also to have conversations with our male employees to hear how they are seeking ways to be allies, especially the men. Like, how do we how do we become an ally to the women that are in our industry? How do we um, pr- try and not be part of the problem? How do we prevent the problems from happening? What can we do? And I think that's where I get the most excited is when I when I hear um, people standing up for each other. And and I I just recently did an onboarding with a bunch of employees, and two were women and one was a guy. And I, I made a point of saying this, this type of treatment doesn't only happen to women, it happens to men too. Um, and you have to just look out for each other. You have to be each other's allies. You have to step in and disrupt the situation. I'm not asking for confrontation, but you can take people out of situations that are uncomfortable. And, and when we see them, it's better to actually act on it than turn a blind eye because then you're just part of the problem, perpetuating an issue that, that needs to be st- uh, stemmed. One, one of the things that I've been trying to talk a, a little bit about, because it, while these are happening inside of uh, breweries and centered around brewery employees a lot of the time, that the consumer element, I think, is, or the customer element uh, is very important as well as, as far as paying attention, um, not acting stupid when you go yeah. to places, um, but also being on the lookout for situations and either, um, I'm not saying take justice into your own hands, but, you know, like making sure that if you see something uh, that's you know, inappropriate or wrong, um, mm-hmm. 
that you're not just turning away with your glass, that kind of thing. Yep. When, when, when you're talking to uh, your staff, when you were doing the onboarding, what are some of the scenarios? What are some of the situations that you've been trying to highlight that you want them to notice, you want them to address should they arise? Yeah, I mean, for our tap room, our staff, I think the vast majority of the issues we've had have been actually with customers, not internally, not with staff, not with other breweries or, or brewery owners. Um, and so that is that is forefront. You know, I we have an entire section in our um, onboarding that says you you do not have to take that poor behavior. You do not have to be treated poorly. You have a right to stand up for yourself. And um, and and I think we've had a really good history of it. We actually have a lot of regulars <laughs> that have my cell phone and they'll contact me if there's an issue. They'll let me know that a manager needs support or that an employee needs help and they'll help step in. Um, as much as they can, but there's, you know, there's always a hesitation to get too involved. Um, we had a, we had a situation a couple of years ago where an, a customer was um, using sexually uh, charged language and um, racially charged language towards another customer. And we, nice. um, we did engage him with our managers and our employees and eventually had to call the cops, you know, and that's, um, that's what I think it comes down to is holding people accountable for their behavior. Just because you go out into a public space doesn't mean that you get to treat people how, however you want. You have to behave like a, like a good human. You, know, you have to create good environments and safe spaces for people. And especially as we come out of COVID, I think there's a little bit of regression. I think people are, they're still, they're like learning how to be social again. Um, and then there's a, just this pent up, excitement to be out and they're forgetting that there's people on the other side of that bar or you know on the other side of that pint glass and they're forgetting about the other and um and so we haven't actually seen an increase in that in those kinds of issues um, but i've been reading about it and i i do think that there is there is an impact that COVID has had in this sort of uh, um, education that has to happen again and it's going to take people speaking up and like you said not just turning away and going back to your beer but um, being an ally, being, being part of the solution and not part of the problem. There's already so many stressors that exist in hospitality right now. And we, we keep hearing the stories of staffing shortages and, um, you know, people being rude to, uh, folks in hospitality, uh, mm -hmm. after a year of being pent up, which, you know, it's just beyond me that, you know, that, that, that that's the tact people are going to take now that they're back out in the world. But, um, I'm a cynic, uh, but this adds all of these conversations add a new level to what is already a very stressful situation, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, coming coming out of when I mean, we were not even out of COVID, no. we're seeing we're seeing upticks again, and we're even worse seeing upticks in the demographic that loves craft beer, and uh, and so there is a lot of stress. These these you know, employees of ours have. Um, have been basically essential workers working through the pandemic, putting their lives on the line, having to take precautions and, and um, change on sometimes a daily and weekly basis to, to meet the, re the restrictions or the, the protections set on, set on our businesses by the LA Department of Public Health. And, um, and they've really been uh, just amazing warriors through this they've they've shown up for work and they're keeping they're keeping a positive attitude and they're trying to create that great space for a customer to come and 
get their beer and and have have a little bit of a social engagement. And so, so yeah, it can be it can be disheartening to hear stories of customers taking that for granted. It's um, it, there's enough on everybody's plate at this point. We don't need uh, that sort of sense of entitlement coming into our tap rooms. I I will I will backpedal a little and say uh, <laughs> we haven't had those problems. Our customers are amazing. Like we are incredibly fortunate at Smog City. Uh, the people that come to us are thankful. They're kind. They're generous. They um, they are thrilled that we're open. We've experienced that throughout COVID and even into now. Um, and so we we haven't had we haven't had those issues. Thank goodness. But I'm not saying that they don't exist out there. One of the things that I've been hearing, and and and, and I love your sort of owner perspective on this is I've been talking to some of the newer breweries that are out there, the ones that have been open for two or three years. And I, I, I keep kind of hearing, you know, boy, you know, when we got into it, you know, the, the biggest thing that we were concerned about was, you know, making a really cool hazy that's going to do well on social and, you know, having t-shirts that sell out of the tap room. And, and that's sort of broad strokes, but, but it was sort of these kind of superficial, um, goals that that some smaller breweries had because of this idea that beer and the brewing industry is sort of a party it's a good time and it's it, it's you know non-stop fun and get together with your friends and you know, bullshit for hours or or or, or whatever um but there's so much more of like the fundamentals of running a business that trades in alcohol um and and having good core values and having uh you know, a safe place for employees and, and sort of recognize parameters of you know, what you expect from people on both sides of the bar, both sides of the, of, 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 of the house. Um, when you and your husband were putting the brewery together, were you having those conversations? Were you trying to pretty early lay the groundwork of what Smog City was going to be? Yeah, absolutely. We, from the very beginning, we have worked extremely hard to create a strong foundation. When we talk about smog with anybody, we talk about the foundation of our business because we believe at some, we believed and we were correct at some point in our history, we were gonna experience a crisis of a magnitude of, of COVID, but not, we didn't know it was gonna be COVID. We thought it would be more likely a craft beer bubble or it would be a recession, it would be something. And we knew that there was going to be some major challenge that our business was going to, to come across. And so through the years, we've always tried to shore up our business to create the strongest infrastructure of, of support, whether it's, um, whether it's staffing or our systems. Um, and especially in the last uh, four years, because we're now, we're now 10 years old. So yeah. in the last four years, four and a half years, we started focusing even more on, on systems, on creating stable, stable business processes. Um, when you are in this industry and you start small and the industry is booming, you sometimes grow faster than you can mature. You know, you grow faster than you can um, become a more sophisticated business. And, and I think Smog felt that a little. We, we were just going and going and going and we were trying to build the, you know, great, the best beer with the best tap rooms, the best customer service. Um, and really being thoughtful about how we managed our money and how we took on debt, how we grew. We, we grew a lot slower than I think that we could have, um, but we did all those things purposefully. We wanted, we wanted to grow smog 
in a way that we were proud of. We felt we never had to make any concessions or um, compromises to our product or our customer relations. And, um, and so we, grow, we grew slowly, but when we hit about six years, maybe five, five, six years, we realized that we were now getting to a size where we really needed to have sophisticated business um, systems in place. And that has been a focus of ours since then and absolutely supported and protected us during COVID. I mean, we, are, we were able to manage all the pivots, all the adaptations, all the, all the leaps of creativity that were necessary to, to survive that year and a half um, because we had all the other foundations in place. And I, I, you know, I, I understand the, the fun experience of the first three years, and I won't say we didn't <laughs> have that, yeah, I mean, we definitely were having a great time and and really to some to some extent carefree. You know, I my, some of my favorite memories in the tap room was working it with our operations manager. And it was so slow in our tap room that one of us would leave and go to Monkish and have a beer and talk to talk <laughs> to Henry. And then when I get a text message saying, hey, people are showing up, we'd walk back. One of us would walk back and then we would get back to work. And <laughs> And so there was, <laughs> there was a time, uh, but then when you start taking on more employees and you get bigger and your volume is bigger and your distribution is larger, it, the, the, the seriousness of what you're doing um, becomes more apparent. <laughs> but there's still, I mean, e- e- even among, uh, amid the, the, the hard work and the stress, um, and, and, and I want to get back to, 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 the, to the issue at hand, but the longer you're in it, are, are there still moments to have fun? I mean, has, has the last 18 or so months just sort of wiped all that away? Or No, I mean, I, so what I, what I knew before COVID, but what, I, what was proven to be true is that Porter and I thrive in meeting the challenge and being creative. And I absolutely, besides the stress and the tears and the negative side of COVID, I loved what COVID gave us. I, I'm an incurable optimist. We released a beer with that name because that is me. Um, I'm always looking for the way to turn any situation into a positive or an opportunity. And, and in COVID, I saw an opportunity to reinvent or make changes without any pre- preconceptions about what we were. Um, We launched into cans for the first time in April after COVID shut us all down. And for years we'd said, we're not gonna do cans until we're ready to do cans. We're not gonna do cans till we're ready to do cans. And then all of a sudden, I mean, we'd already placed this order in December. We got our can line and we were supposed to release three beers between April and October. And we released 10, you know, 15, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, we just started slamming beer into cans. And nobody batted an eye. Everybody was like, oh, thank God, they're in cans. Let's get this beer. Let's support this brewery. Look at these new uh, series that are coming out. We released the Strange Time series um, in, re- um, in response to COVID. We released uh, Quarantine Machine. And, um, and Porter and I had a really fun time doing that. You know, Being creative and adapting is, I think, what we do best. And it's what gets us really excited. And, and like I said, although there were, it was extraordinarily stressful and upsetting, um, I woke up each day with a purpose, you know, a really powerful purpose to protect my employees, protect my business, to get beer out to customers. 
And, uh, and I, I love that. <laughs> I saw, I saw a great silver lining there. Is there, is there a, a Monday morning quarterback, a 2020 hindsight of, you know, you're, you're a decade into this now and you just got a canning line and wow, we should have done this sooner. Or would that have changed your trajectory in different ways? Do you think? Yeah, you, you can never know. I mean, I definitely wish that we had put our beer into cans sooner Um, But our problem was we bought a bottling line that took a year and a half to uh, manufacture and deliver. And in that year and a half, cans took off. I was going to say, yeah, breweries that launched in 2011, 2012 were not always putting money down on bottling lines. So, yeah. So we we actually bottled our first um, major beer, like putting it into six packs in, um, I think it was 2015. And that was the year 20, like during 2015, while we were waiting for our can, our bottling line cans were exploding, but we had, well, one, we, we had a, we have still a true belief that that canning or that bottling line is far superior to most canning lines out there. It is the Rolls Royce of canning, canning lines. It's awesome. It never breaks down. The beer is fantastic. And, and for us, it's always about the product and getting it into customers' hands with quality, um, and consistency. And that bottling line did that for us. And it took us a while to, um, I mean, honestly, in 2015, 16, 17, and 18, canning lines weren't that great. Mm-hmm. And by the time we purchased our canning line, they had caught up, they'd, they'd, they'd adjusted, they'd changed their processes. So our canning line now is, is meeting the quality um, expectations we have for our beer, but it would not have done so in 2016. There's no way. Um, and so we're happy we did it. You know, when I look at the volume of beer we're selling in cans, uh, yes, maybe I wish I'd done it a year or two earlier, but I also think that, um, that we do things at our own speed at Smog. We don't, we don't follow trends. We don't, uh, we don't chase the dragon. We're just like, we're trying to do it how we think is right. And this was our process. So I don't look back on it and really regret it. Um, but I am excited about how much beer people are buying in cans. That's for sure. Yeah, no, that's, uh, um, do, do you think I, 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 I'm not asking you to forecast the, the, the future, but we've seen so, that, that huge dramatic shift from bottles to cans. Um, and when I think about breweries that, you know, used to put out 22 ounce bombers and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and now, you know, they, they, they don't anymore. Um, and seven fifties are reserved for, you know, fun occasion anniversary beers, maybe now and again, but uh, more often than not, I'm still just going to see 16 ounce cans. Is there a future for bottles and in, 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 in craft and like 12 ounce, just easy going bottles, or is that just going to. I think it's going to be a business decision because we've got, we've got recycling fees that potentially could be raised on us. We've got shortages in cans. Um, I always tell my staff, I'm like, don't, don't shut down that bottling line. Cause someday we might have to reverse back to it. Um, I, I don't think the consumer necessarily is going to change their attitudes towards cans. They're so easy to travel. They don't break. They're lighter. You know, you take them camping in the beach and the pool. Those, I mean, those are all just, that's just inherent in the way people live in California. So I don't really see that change coming unless there is a major cultural shift in the way customers um, view cans. You know, they, 
they are not as recyclable as bottles. Bottles are 100% recyclable for infinity. Cans have recycling lifetimes and they are only a percentage recyclable. And it depends on whether they have, uh, they're, they're printed on the can versus labels. You know, there's, yeah. there's so many different levels. So customers could change that tide if they decided that they wanted something more sustainable, they wanna protect the environment more, um, over price point, over accessibility, over ease, um, then yeah, it could change. I don't see uh, 2020 or 22s coming back. Um, <laughs> they weren't really that good to begin with. I the know. Point was really expensive, and and I think also just just throws out there I, my my ongoing mantra about craft beer is we are no longer a luxury item. We are a lifestyle, and that means price matters. And so before you'd go in, you'd buy your six uh, 22s and you'd spend a ton of money on them and you were so proud and had such a fun time. And now you know what beers you like, you know what styles you like, you know what breweries you like, and you want to go in and buy four packs and six packs of those brands um, and support them and, and price means more to you. So I think there's just a shift. Can I ask you what, what, what you mean by lifestyle? It's a lifestyle for who? I think for consumers, it's no longer luxury. Like, our customers are now drinking Smog City on a daily basis. It is in their fridge all the time. Um, and before it was, uh, I want what's new. I want a new brewery. I want a new beer. I want to shelf. I want to shop the shelves. I want a label shop. And I want the newest thing, the craziest thing. I think that's changing. I think customers. Really? Want, yeah. I mean, and we're seeing it in distribution. Hardcore. We were, we were preaching this in 2019. And our distributor was like, yes, we are seeing a shift, but it's not quite there yet. It is hardcore right now. Like customers just want what they love. Um, and so I think there is a change happening. I think I, there's just so much good beer out there that the new crazy thing is not as exciting as the beer that you are sure is great. Um, and I may, maybe I'm speaking in a bubble. I don't know. You tell me. Well, what, what I'm curious about in that is, so those are Smog City fans that are coming to you on the daily basis and buying your beer much in the same way that like, you know, older generations would have gone and, you know, picked up a six pack of bud on the way home, like that right. kind of thing, right? How do you address the non-craft drinkers? Because it, it's easy for craft to talk to craft and that's all that's been happening for, for, for forever. Um, you know, but overall craft beer is still like what, 13% of the overall marketplace. Yeah. And I feel like I've been asking this question for a decade now, but like, how do you get that other 87%? Like if it's a lifestyle for the people who come to you regularly and buy your beer regularly, is there an alienation that can exist for that other 87% where they feel like they just, you know, don't get it or that it's not being, I don't know, spoken to that they're not being spoken to. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't say that we are brand gurus on this, so I will tell you what we are attempting to do Sure. <laughs> and um, not necessarily that it's like the right choice, but we have released what we are calling our own. We have, we call it a lifestyle brand um, or lifestyle series. And that is uh, the rebrand of little bow pills, LA with love, hoppy Pilsner, mango pango, which is coming out. Uh, or just came out this last Friday, um, are all beers that are designed label-wise and taste-wise and price point-wise to be more accessible. 
that they are not the scary craft beer, double dry hopped, you know, here's, here's all the fancy bells and whistles. These are beers that are meant to be porch pounders, be pool, pool companions. They're on your, on your trip when you go camping. And so we're trying to, to create this brand that's, it's, if you look at the art, it's a little different from our Smog City cores. It's different from Coffee Porter and Squirrel. It's more, um, sort of friendly and open. It's a mid-century modern style that just is pretty. Um, and then the beers are really accessible. And so that that's our attempt. We're, we see an opportunity to get to those consumers. I think there are uh, people who want to buy the, um, the 24 bricks of Corona or Budweiser. They're, they're never going to be our people. It's going to be really hard to get to them because our price will never meet what they need. But I think that there's a lot of craft curious people that are sort of in that middle ground that want to come into craft but are still drinking Stella or still drinking Blue Moon or Shock Top. And, uh, and we get a ton of those at our tap rooms, ton of them, at especially Steelcraft and Glendora Public Market. Those two locations, people are super excited to cry, buy, try craft beer, but they're still very new to beer in general. Um, so that's, that's our approach. I don't know if it's going to be right, but it seems to be working fairly well so far. <laughs> I'll have more with Lori Porter in just a moment, but first a short word from the folks who help us keep the lights on over here. Check out NZ Hops. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not just being a steward for the land, but also for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or on Twitter. Embrice is proud to control their malt starting in the field until it arrives at your brewery. They have long-term relationships with several hundred growers in the Bighorn Basin of Wyoming and Montana, where warm days, cool nights, and floodwater irrigation yield some of the highest quality barley in the United States. And we're also brought to you by Lawson's Finest Liquids. Their taproom, beer garden, and retail store are open from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Get beer, food, and Vermont hospitality all in one place. And you can learn more at lawsonsfinest.com. And now back to Laurie Porter of Smog City in California. So in speaking to, and this sort of segues back into um, what we were talking about earlier, um, the, the conversations that have centered around uh, the Instagram posts and, you know, the, the, the bad stories about, you know, what's happening to um, women or minorities uh, in, in, in beer um, these days are conversations that by and large have been happening in and around the beer space and not necessarily branching out into the consumer space. Um, there have been articles that have been out there in some mainstream publications, but, you know, by and large, this is, this has been an industry specific conversation um, that that's been happening. And when brewers want to talk about what's happening in and around the world, uh, they often put out a beer, uh, make it available to the consumers and then start that conversation uh, on that level, that side of the coin. Um, this week on, on Friday, uh, I guess the 16th of, of July, um, your brewery is putting out a, a beer called Total Boss. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, yes, the Total Boss was um, was created by all the women at Smog City. We we uh, determined that in order to respond to this reckoning is what they call it in our industry, um, that that the best way, the universal language of craft beer is through is through beer, and through beer you have a platform to 
um, to address concerns or address, you know, whatever's happening, news, newsy, newsworthy things. So uh, we have four, five, five people in our leadership roles at the very, very top of Smog, three of which are women. Um, we have three taproom managers, two of which are women. Um, most of our taproom staff are women. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any production uh, women yet, but we're hoping that someday we get some applicants and we can bring them on. Um, but in that, in those discussions with this, the this Me Too reckoning in our industry, um, we kept saying like, Smog City is a leader in showing that women deserve to be elevated. They deserve respect. They deserve to be treated properly, um, and that we've earned it. And and so. Uh, Afton Lee, who's our brand and retail director, said, I think we need to make a beer and we can bring all the women together at Smog and we can create this safe space where they feel empowered and they feel excited to express what's going on through, through a product or a vehicle that can get to our customers. Um, and then Total Boss was born. We thought um, it's, it's an ongoing term that one of our uh, taproom managers uses when she talks about our, um, our staff and especially our female staff. She calls them a total boss. And I, I just felt like that really resonated. We, uh, we wanted to make a statement that, um, that we continue, we have always and continue to support women in our industry and are proud to be a women-run business. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of it. And then, so you get, you get together and you start batting around ideas and I, I, what, was anything aside from an IPA ever discussed? Oh yeah. So my favorite part was that we we created a um, we still have it. It's called uh, Women of Smog. It's a Slack channel that um, only the women of Smog are, are part participants in, and it all started with the Me Too reckoning and and create making sure that um, from our leadership down that we were creating a safe place for our our employees, giving them a space where they could speak up if they were having concerns. Um, and come to us if they needed help. And so uh, on that thread, we started a, a, a discussion about what beers we wanted. And it was very interesting to watch. There was, there was from um, Gozas and Berliner Weisses and Cezannes to uh, triple IPAs and red IPA and IPA and hazy and, um, and then even, and even bigger beers. But then we started to separate into these two groups and the conversations were like, do we want to do what everybody thinks women do in the industry? We don't. We want to do what we want to do. And, and people are going to think that we're going to make some like pink beer, but we're not going to make a pink beer because we're awesome and we're total bosses. <laughs> uh, and that's how we ended up in the IPA sphere. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't want to do a hazy because it's not, um, it just wasn't any of our employees' favorite beers. Uh, and then we, we have a lot of IPAs that are on draft. And so we, we started to, to narrow it down and say, well, what kind of beer do we want to make it? We want to make it accessible to our customers, great for the season, reflective of our personalities. And um, one of our employees loves red IPAs and she presented that and everybody jumped on board because it seems, it feels like a really appropriate blend of, um, you know, strong femininity and, uh, and classical endurance. It's IPAs are the classic beers and then bringing in that red um, felt really powerful and, and cool to us. Um, 
I, 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 I was sort of making a joke before we started, even though none of this is, is, is funny. Um, but uh, seeing a red IPA uh, when the press release for this came through really got my attention because you, you just don't see that beer a- a- anymore. And, and I think if it was a hazy, um, and I'm not disparaging against those, but um, although I probably am, um, uh, you know, if it was a hazy, it would probably just be oh, okay. It's a, it, it's another hazy. But in in having, you know, a, a, a familiar style, but that's also kind of different. Mm-hmm. Do do you think it'll achieve a goal of getting people a little bit more interested, or at least picking their heads up from Untapped uh, as they check in? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, well, there's two levels of that one. I do think people are going to be excited to try a different type of beer. And and yes, red IPAs are not really out there in the market. So that's fun. Um, it's fun to get people to talk about it. They'll probably be asking us similar questions to what you're asking. Why did you choose this? Yeah. <laughs> Why red? Um, and then on top of that, we have the, bene- the benefit of um, our taproom staff, who are mostly women, selling. Actually, that's not true. I'll take that back. We're probably 50-50 male men and women. Um, and but we're the, many of the uh, all the women staff were pre- present in part of creating this beer, and they are going to be that conduit to the conversation. Um, they are going to be the ones saying, "I made this beer. I made this beer for a reason." And that's where I think that bridge to the customer is going to be most effective. And so you're planning on having conversations around this beer, I imagine, like as, as it's poured, it's not just, you know, Hey, here you go. That'll be seven bucks or whatever a pint goes for in LA these days. Um, You're going to want to be engaging people in in conversation, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's always a balance, right? There's some people come to tap rooms who don't want you to talk to them. They just come for their beers. Um, And so it's always about reading the customer and figuring out who actually wants to have a discussion and who just wants Total Boss Red IPA. Uh, I, I have a feeling that every time an employee pours Total Boss, they're going to say, I made this or the women of Smog made this. And that will hopefully um, create those opportunities for conversations. So, yeah, we're hoping we're hoping that people want to talk about it. And um, and I, I think, you know, in, in conversation I've had with um, male employees, they are seeking ways to be part of the solution. And they don't know, they don't know what to do. And they don't, they know that they're not out there doing the things that are in these stories, but they don't know how to take the next step to helping. And I hope that that conversation um, is part of it. And, and it, I'll just keep saying, it. it's like, be an ally. Don't turn your, don't turn your head on a, on a situation in which you could step in and, and separate a person from an awkward um, situation or, or laugh uncomfortably when your friend makes um, derogatory comments about staffers. It's, it happens all the time, and um, you know the, it, it's mostly in fun and jest. It's never meant to be cruel, uh, but I think we're we're in an era of um, sensitivity, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to we need to think about the words that come out of our mouth and how they impact other people. Have you seen? I, I know earlier you were saying that you you've been treated differently, but maybe not in the same way as as, as some of the other stories that are out there. But ha- have you seen? any sort of tangible tone shift or change in atmosphere? Um, I do think, I think that when people are willing to finally talk about an uncomfortable situation, that change is inevitable. 
I also believe that this is a systemic issue in our culture and in our communities that goes far beyond craft beer. Um, I, I've told my leadership, I have been um, mistreated by people outside my industry 10 times as much as anybody inside of our industry. Uh, and I do deal with a lot of construction or uh, lawyers or wherever, like just out in the world. And I think this starts um, in the home. And I, as a parent, I believe, and a parent of an 11 year old son, I think that it's our responsibility to have these conversations with our children. Um, because that is how it's going to change, how, how we are going to see any forward momentum is, is changing that culture in the household. So, uh, so I do think that it's important to talk about it, but I also think it's really important to look internally and look at where it all begins and, and realize that, that, I mean, the people in craft beer are amazing. The, the names that have come up in, in those um, Me Too stories have um, been limited. You know, they're often isolated to specific people. And, and I think we have to make sure we don't lose sight of that because there are a lot of incredible men um, in our industry that are those allies and always have been, and they shouldn't be treated as predators or, or the enemy just because these stories are now coming out. So, um, you know, I, I just think we have to look at it as, as less of a craft beer problem and more of, of a societal problem. And, uh, and I think we just have to change our attitudes and men need to realize that they can't just say whatever they want. <laughs> there, there's been, you, you mentioned, you know, some of the names uh, that, that have come up and some of the breweries that have been associated with, and in some cases it's uh, ownership, in some cases it's you know, brewers, um, in other cases it's bar owners. Um, I, I, I'm not, I have I, I've been asking questions and I've been trying to verify um, a lot of these and you know it's it, it some of them seem true and certainly people have made statements uh, that would support uh, these accusations that have been made against them. Um, have you been thinking about as a brewery owner future relationships with bars, with other breweries, with you know who you're gonna want to do business with? Are those conversations that have been coming up? We've been having those conversations since we started. I mean, I had I had an account in LA that I refused to sell beer to because the owner had an issue, a personal domestic issue that um, was pub made public, and and we determined that we didn't want to sell beer there. Um, I think uh, there it is important to separate business from you know political actions and and statements, but also when, when there's these sort of gross negligence on the part of, of a business owner, then, then you do have to take notice and engage your relationships. Um, we, we certainly have experienced um, negative experiences with some of the people that were called out and our relationships don't exist with those breweries long before all of this happened. Um, you know, some people asked me, they said, well, were you shocked? And I said, no, <laughs> I've known these people a long time. <laughs> I, everybody knew, um, not knew like the depth of the details, but they always knew they weren't like the greatest people. And so, yeah, I mean, we've been making those choices for a long time. Um, and I think we'll continue to do so. I haven't been on the West Coast in, in, in quite some time, uh, uh, probably two years now. Uh, pre-pandemic um la is a cool beer town 
Um, and I, I, I've said on previous occasions, although it hasn't, it's been a while, um, you know, New York gets a lot of respect for a, a lot of reasons, but New York was sort of a lousy beer town for, for, for a long time. Um, and LA was probably superior. And I, I, I won't say that for just about anything else. Um, but LA's beer scene is, uh, or was, uh, pre COVID, um, really vibrant and sort of cutting edge. And, and, and there's a lot of, there's a cool sense of community as well. Uh, as, as people start to get vaccinated and get out into the world again, have you seen the LA beer scene change over COVID? Like, is it, is, is our thing, obviously things have changed, but like, is it, still what it was um has it morphed um i i have not seen a, a huge change i mean other than through covid we all bonded together for common themes common you know support and, and protection of our businesses we got involved legislatively we um we really did a lot of customer outreach trying to make sure customers understood the changing climate of the regulations and the restrictions we had because a lot of our breweries were getting blamed for upholding safety regulations and um and so i saw our although we have not been able to get together in person i've i saw our guild really come together to support each other there's there's still a live thread of um, ingredients being shared if, if employees or if uh, breweries can't get a hold of supplies because we've had supply shortages or delays. Um, when Texas lost all of its electricity, all, all of our prowlers and cans disappeared. We weren't able to get anything. So, yeah. um, and then breweries would all help. I mean, during, during COVID, I was um, meeting up with uh, the, the brewer of Stocking Horse and giving him crowlers because I had, it, I had ordered extra when I realized what was happening and he didn't have any. And so I would sell them to him at cost so that he could continue to get beer into customers' hands. And, uh, and I don't think that's changed. Our, our industry is very um, uh, friendly and collaborative. Uh, it's, we're super lucky. I, we went from 95 breweries pre-COVID to 97 breweries. I think we lost five during COVID, but most, were, most of them were actually already about to close Okay. And then we, we added seven. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy how, how well they weathered the storm um, and how well they all adapted. And uh, yeah, I think it's still an amazing industry here. And, and one thing I want to point out in this subject of the Me Too movement is yeah. I, I think LA has a, a huge number of female leaders and has always had them. I mean, from Ting at Eagle Rock, Devon at Arts District and mm -hmm. Rena and Adriana at Monkish, I mean, um, and Alex at, at Three Weavers, there's, there are a lot of women who are driving the craft beer industry here um, shoulder to shoulder with the men of the industry. And that is, I think, super unique. I, I feel super proud of it. Um, I think that it makes our industry better. I think it makes it um, a more welcoming and diverse and inclusive um, industry here in, in, this, in the county um, than other places, you know, where it's just male dominated. I think we, we have a better balance. Do, um, do, you, do you think that LA specifically, um, I mean, you, you cited some, some pretty incredible people uh, there as far as brewery owners and, 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 and brewers. Um, but do you think LA could be different to 
address some of these issues head on uh, just because some of the previous Me Too movements have happened in the entertainment industry, which is what your city is is, is also known for. Um, so it's not an unfamiliar conversation for a lot of folks. Did, could that play into it? Or am I just reaching at this point? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel, I, I kind of feel like all industries live within the bubble of their industry. And and although we're personally impacted by news and, and the happenings, um, there's not a lot of crossover. I mean, I'm not, I'm not having discussions with producers or directors about what happened to Harvey Weinstein, right? Like mm-hmm. I, there's not that, that shared conversation. Um, and maybe, maybe that's something that should happen. I think that there's, whenever I speak to anybody in any other industry, um, I always discover that their their struggles are the same as mine. They just have a different word, a different vocabulary, um, especially talking to people uh, during the, the acquisition and merger, um, uh, hungry, hungry hippos of, what was it, 2017 and 18. Um, we, I, I, talked, yeah. I talked to a lot of um, coffee company owners and they were like, oh yeah, that happened to us in the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's how it's going to play out. And, um, and here's how customers feel, which was the sort of the most shocking and sort of depressing or distressing was customers don't care. Yeah. Um, only we care. And so I think that the, I think there's lots of value to have those conversations across industries, but I don't honestly feel like there's a lot of opportunity for it. Um, so the Me Too movement is not just isolated to just to, you know, entertainment industry and craft beer. It is worldwide. It is across all industries. Um, those two are real juicy. I mean, especially the industry, uh, Hollywood industry is juicy because we are invested in those sales, those, um, those stars. Yeah. Uh, I'm less interested in who owns my local grocery store. You know, I don't really care, <laughs> but if I, I care who stars in my movies. Um, so I think that those are just getting more, um, attention. They're going to get more media. Um, but I do think that this, this reckoning is happening everywhere. I think people are women and, and people of all types are feeling empowered as they should to speak up when they're mistreated. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It's nobody deserves to be feel unsafe or to feel discriminated against or to feel, um, that they are less than. So, yeah, Well, the the beer that you're all uh, releasing that's going to help foster this conversation is Total Boss. And what am I saying? It's 6.3% uh, coming out this Friday and I guess available at all of your locations as well as online, which is yeah. which is pretty cool. Is this, uh, do you think that this could be a regular thing or is this a, a one-off for now? Um, this one is a one-off for now. Uh, I definitely see an opportunity for it or other iterations, um, other total boss type beers to come out. Uh, I've already been thinking about how, um, you know, when we made this beer, we we excluded the men in our brewery, and I feel like there could be an ally beer out there. You know, they they they're honestly men get mistreated as well, so. <laughs> um, and so there's there's opportunities for this conversation to keep going. I'm and I'm really excited about the beer. I'm excited about the conversation around it. I'm excited about in hopefully inspiring other breweries to to maybe make beers or speak up or um, celebrate and promote the women that are inside their indus- inside our industry and and really keep that conversation going. I don't want this to just be a an Instagram story that disappears. I want there to 
um, be change. And if there is conversation, then there is potential for change. Um, a, lot of, a lot of men don't even know there is a problem. So once you start talking about it, they're shocked and horrified that the people they love and care about are being treated poorly. And then, you know, then you now have um, more support and the industry becomes a better place. Um, that's my goal. That's my hope. Well, I, I hope this works and I hope that it gets some good conversations going and I appreciate you uh, coming on the show this week and talking about this and everything else that's going on and, uh, and really being candid throughout all of it. So um, Laurie, thanks for, thanks for doing this. I, I really do appreciate it. Hey, it means a lot that you were willing to give, give voice to this beer and give voice to the movements and, um, and be an ally yourself. So thank you for being part of the solution. My thanks again to Laurie Porter for joining me. There is another beer in the world that you're likely to see in the coming weeks that is also addressing these issues in brewing. It's called Brave Noise, and you can learn more as a brewing professional, as a drinker, or as a home brewer at bravenoisebeer.com. And as always, you can drop me a line on email. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can join me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Reminder to check out BeerEdge.com to subscribe to the newsletter, to catch up on episodes of this podcast and the Beer Edge podcast, and to check out the very cool merch page. And if you'd want to learn more about helping us out through advertising, you can reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that... This episode is sponsored by Brees. Brees is the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbrees.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. NZ Hops is the cooperative of master growers that are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. As promised, Sean Lawson is back with me. He's the founder of Lawson's Finest Liquids in Vermont, which is a sponsor of this episode. Thanks to them for that. And we're talking, Sean, about your tap room and beer garden. And while we can get your beer on shelves and on tap outside of the brewery, there are some specialty beers that we can only drink if we go there. So tell us what awaits on tap on draft when we show up at your doorstep. Well, thanks, John. Of course, the, the number one beer that the fans set their compass to Waitsfield, Vermont for is the original home run beer at Lawson's Finest Liquids. And that's the double sunshine IPA. Uh, a beer that uh, I became known for and uh, became synonymous with the Lawson's finest name back in the early days when we were uh, when I was making them uh, one bottle at a time in 22 ounce bottles and selling them at the Warren store. So there's a fun story to go along with that. But today they're offered in 16 ounce cans along with a, a few of our other sought after uh, and special beers that we only sell here in Waitsfield, Vermont, through our retail store in the tap room. And that includes uh, our triple sunshine as well, where we took the sunshine and turned it up to <laughs> ten and a half. 
And one of the beers that I'm most proud of uh, that folks can get outside of Waitsfield, but they uh, they may have to come to Waitsfield to and experience it on uh, the Luker faucet, a special uh, European uh, beer faucet. And we offer three types of pours for the Pilsner, a very tall, uh, slender glass uh, that uh, it just pours such a beautiful, thick, foamy head, as well as our 10-ounce uh, crisp pour or the, the milk pour. Um, so it's a it's a unique way to serve the Pilsner, and uh, those are a few of the beers that we're uh, really proud of and serving up here in Waitsfield, Vermont, along with the specialty releases that uh, folks can find throughout the year. Well, you can find information on those specialty releases and what's on tap by visiting the brewery's website. That's lawsonsfinest.com, and social media keeps you updated as well, so check it out on all of the major platforms. Thanks so much, Sean, for taking the time and for the support of the show. Don't forget, Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYNN podcast on the 15th of every month, as well as the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. That is a lot of good quality listening for you all out there. Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, even if I'm a few hours late now and again. And that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.